0: Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, welcome to Progressive News Network here at Blog Talk Radio. Um, Brooke Hines is our executive producer and I'm Janine Mulloff, the associate producer. This week on PNN, we're going to cover several things. We're going to mention the Justice for J6 rally in Washington, Washington D.C. And we're going to give it all the coverage it deserves. But basically when you consider it was a group of white supremacists as well as some neo-Nazis that went to go throw a big tantrum, if you will, in D.C. and also at some state capitals because after the insurrection of January 6th, they are astounded and they're angry that some of their cohorts were actually criminally charged, as they should have been, and are now sitting in jail waiting their trial date. And not many people showed up this time because the police were on full alert, and the bullies weren't going to be allowed carte blanche. So basically, it fizzled out. It should be reminded that these people represent a type of ugliness in this country that is called white supremacy that needs to end. And that's about all the coverage they deserve there. So... What we're really going to talk about today is we're going to be talking more about COVID, COVID, and more COVID. And just when you thought you couldn't take any more, we have to because the issue of COVIDious, as I call them, has really just grown out of control, especially when it is politicians of the GOP to keep pushing this lunacy and excessive stupidity. So the first thing we're gonna talk about in the justice report, we're gonna discuss the continuing fraudulent legal, well, not so much legal, the fraudulent scientific claims made by GOP governors and attorney generals regarding mask mandates and even vaccines, especially in our public schools. And this is going to focus uh, basically in light of this enormous study that was published co-jointly with researchers from both stanford and yale medical schools which clearly state that yes masking does prevent covid transmission as well as vaccines in short this is proof that the gop anti-masker movement they're endangering all of us but especially our most precious resource our children and for no other reason except political gain so with that, we're going to start with a segment that Brooke prepared. She's on hiatus right now, but she was kind enough to prepare a segment on what she calls COVID perspectives, COVID perspectives on class war. And with that, we will start with Brooke's segment. Here you go.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Lefty Lounge. I'm your host, Brooke Hines. Uh, We do a half hour here on Blog Talk Radio, and then you can head on over to Anchor and catch the rest of the show. The rest of the segment will be up over there. And, uh, yeah, let's just get started. This week we're talking about COVID again. And so before I get started, I want to make clear that nothing I'm – saying is any kind of dispensing of medical advice. If you're taking medical advice from a marketing person, uh, you need to rethink your life decisions. And that, of course, goes for any marketing person. Don't, Especially don't listen to pharma or healthcare marketing people, insurance marketing people. They have things to sell you. I sell absolutely nothing. Especially these days. Like uh, I there there is no financial interest in anything that I am doing at all. Whatsoever. I kid, I kid, I love my clients, I've got clients. Uh the other thing is is that no one here is saying don't get your vaccine. As a matter of fact I was uh uh DMing with somebody last night who was interested in some of the things I've been talking about with these different uh, breakthrough and bridge protocols. Uh, And they were on the fence about getting their vaccine. And I said, you know, uh, I had an adverse reaction to Moderna number 1, so I really shouldn't be thinking about taking number two or taking boosters because uh, the adverse reaction was a mini-stroke, and that is uh, not something you want to revisit. You want to try to cut off any more interaction with whatever it is that causes a transient ischemic attack. But I told this person who didn't seem to have, you know, I asked if they had any immune problems, uh, you know, like a finicky system like I do, uh, and, and I said you know if 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 you don't have if you don't have this history of, of of weirdness, it is much more beneficial to get that vaccine and be legitimate okay It does confer some protection, but the shots also taper off over the course of it. looks like now they're saying about ninety days that's what the research is showing. That's not me talking. Uh, I had my vaccine probably 40 days ago, 45 days ago, something like that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of that taper. But I think the larger thing here is that uh, going back to the idea of legitimacy, even though we don't have vaccine passports right now, there is definitely an issue of legitimacy and As somebody who grew up poor and as somebody who had a a number of life and death struggles in a hospital, you know where I was a lone woman you know trying to get health care without an advocate next to me, I know the problems that come along with being illegitimate. And, look, people pass judgment on you regardless of if they have the power to or if they should or they shouldn't. In, in healthcare settings all the time, people are making decisions, you know, who to give priority to and apparently who to fuck with. Because here we have a, a tweet from a nurse, Doris Grinspun, RN, and she says, Uh, When she has so-called anti-vax patients, she brings them a yummy empanada with a strong dose of dulcalax in it as her special treat Um, because she just appointed herself the grand poobah of, you know, determining who in the hospital is worthy of being treated like a human or not, you know. She can't tell from looking at a patient whether they have medical history that counterindicated taking a vaccine or if they had an adverse reaction to a vaccine. But she's bragging about giving people laxatives you know, that they haven't been ordered by a doctor on her floor. I really hope something happens to this woman because she needs to be taken out. You can't let somebody continue to see patients when they're on social media bragging about dosing them up with drugs that weren't ordered by their doctor. I don't care if it was a joke or not; it's not funny. And why stop with laxatives? You know, how do we know that these that nurses like this aren't, you know, giving something worse to the patients that they perceive as their mortal enemies? You know, this is where we're at. We're at this like, uh, you know, media fabricated civil war about pandemic, and you know, we're we're to the point where it has gotten dangerous. When when this sort of thing is happening, now this particular nurse uh, looks like she practices in Ontario. So thank God for small favors, but don't believe for a moment that we don't have. <laughs> exactly the same kind of nastiness going on in American hospitals because we do and I've seen it firsthand so legitimacy comes in many ways shapes and forms part of it is how much money you make part of it is how much education you have and a lot of it when you're face to face with other people is the way you look the way you dress you know how you present yourself now, your vaccine status and, you know, your healthcare information, which should be protected under HIPAA, which should be private information, is now being used to determine whether or not you're a worthy human being or not. That's dangerous. And so while this infuriates me, if someone is asking for my opinion, should I or should I not get the vaccine and, and, and they're at a low risk for a reaction the way I had? I'm going to say, yeah, because you're protecting yourself from not just from the virus. You're protecting yourself from these other people. If you have the vaccination, you are conferred, you know, even if the, even if the immunity isn't perfect, the legitimacy is. And people aren't going to come after you. And if you're the kind of person who has other things going on in your life, like let's say you're poor, or you know any of these other you know delegitimizing kind of situations, you might want to get the vaccine because it's one less freaking bullshit thing to have to deal with. So I'm not anti-vax. Uh, I, uh, I I I am, however. Uh, vaccine aware. And over the years, I have had numerous bad reactions to vaccines. It's normal with what, uh, with the myalgic encephalomyelitis and fibromyalgia, it is normal for people with this to have uh, multi-system inflammatory response to uh, different kinds of insults. And a, a vaccine can be perceived by your immune system as an insult I mean it's kind of it's supposed to be perceived as an insult anyway I take a flu vaccine and I'm weak for 10 or or, or sick for 10 days like like that's the that's the normal thing that that happens to me and it's not just you know sickety sick like you'd be sick with the flu it's this multi-system inflammatory bullshit, you know, where just it, it, I just have a flare of the normal chronic stuff that I usually have, you know, so you, I have to factor that into my schedule. This is another reason why I'm a, I'm a consultant instead of a full-time worker, you know, I'm, I'm not quite ready to say, you know, I'm fully disabled and and do the 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 whole rigmarole of trying to get a lawyer and trying to get uh, on disability. I'm not ready for that. Uh, I can very well take care of my cl- clients and 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 do really really good work here, but I need to be able to lie down from time to time, and I need to be able to to recognize when I'm having. A really bad brain fog day versus when I'm not having a bad brain fog day, and to just maybe set aside the problem solving uh, types of projects when you've got the brain fog and the, and the deep detail stuff that that re- has no room for uh, for mistakes. Just set that aside until you know the brain fog clears, and then you come back to it. That's the kind of thing that you can do on your own as a consultant, and those are the kind of things that you don't have control over when you work in an office for someone else. So, you know, this is how I make it work. Uh, also, being an at-home person uh, allows me to do a few other things like this podcast that um, that is valuable to me. Um, whether or not it's valuable to anybody else, it really isn't the point of, of me doing it. This is, this is absolutely for me. So, number one, not dispensing medical advice. Number two, absolutely, pro-vaccine for a number of reasons, even some that you might not have thought of. Now, let's continue. So, a lot happened this week, having to do with COVID, and uh, a lot of freakouts happen. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come at this from a couple of different ways. I have some media to share with you, and I have my own personal narrative to share with you. Some stuff that happened this week, and I I have some speculation about how COVID-related research could be very helpful. Uh, ongoing. So let's get right into it. So this week was the week that the left jumped into COVID discourse uh, with uh, a, at least one or two feet attached to them. Uh, over on Rockfin, Alex Rubinstein and Mila Gareeb I think I said it right, uh, at pro-democracy pod held a little roundtable with uh, Max Blumenthal of the Gray Zone and Jimmy Dore of Jimmy Dore. And so they were talking about, the episode is called Brain Worms and Horse Dewormer with Jimmy Dore and Max Blumenthal. And there was some really important uh, back and forth happening here. So I want to share some of this with you and and, and encourage you to go over to Rockfin and check out Pro Democracy Pod, just in general, uh, good stuff through and through. I'm going to play the very first bit that Alex says here, because I think that that's just as important as some of the other things that are said. So
2: We have a very special episode today. We're going to be talking about an issue that I've kind of... Uh avoided for some time, um, just like not, it wasn't at, at first an issue that I really wanted to stick my neck out on just because it's so controversial.
1: Now, notice the language that he uses here. He says he doesn't want to stick his neck out uh, into this particular issue, and that to me suggests when you, when you stick your neck out, you're sticking it out for it to be flashed you know, so there's a recognition here. Everybody recognizes that we're not supposed to be talking about COVID. We can talk about everything you know, under the sun, but do not talk about COVID. Do not talk about lockdowns. Definitely don't appear to be an anti-vaxxer. You know the rules. Now, here's Max Blumenthal a little bit later in the discussion talking about how the rules around COVID are – playing against all of our strengths on the left and that there might actually be some stuff that we should be talking about. So let's let's uh, hear what Max has to say.
2: What, what the FDA is trying to do and what these left liberal blue check marks are trying to do is reframe the class war as a culture war so that we'll all be scared to take this on because we'll be portrayed as redneck Trump supporting Neanderthal chuds.
1: Yeah, and so don't think for a second that uh, in in my own calculus as I was debating how to speak up about this that I wasn't cognizant that there there are plenty of uh, blue-check and blue-wave liberals who uh, would love to put me in the same basket, the basket of deplorables, with the other redneck Trump-supporting Neanderthal chuds. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. And so Max Blumenthal here has done some homework, and he has decided to come out with him and Jimmy and talk about what's been going on with the whole big ivermectin controversy.
2: So the FDA went out and demonized ivermectin. It was part of a coordinated campaign using influencers, including late-night comedians, who have been previously enlisted, like Jimmy Kimmel, was paid by Moderna to promote their vaccine to demonize a drug that threatened Big Pharma's profit margin.
1: Now, it's really interesting to me that uh, Max Blumenthal mentions the very same thing that I have been working on for a while in my writing, which is how uh, blue checks and blue waves, uh, you know, people people that I call the Democratic Party elite, uh, have had a policy since 2017 to forget about the news, forget about what's real, forget about journalism. What they really want and the, and the only form of discourse that they want are celebrities and influencers who will parrot industry talking points. And And definitely make sure that no problems are caused for uh, we can't have pharmaceutical industry being inconvenienced during this uh, pandemic. Now, can we? Now, I'm just suggesting that the left should stay closer to uh, uh, political and policy policy decisions that empower people to afford health care, that empower people to make decisions for themselves, and that empower people to uh, have the most freedom to move about as possible. So if you're on the left and you are cheering for, let's say, uh, mandates and vaccine passports and that type of thing, you might want to recheck your math there because these are not left values. Vaccine passports and, and, and vaccine mandates are not the type of thing that the left should be getting behind because this is exactly the kind of thing that is always, always used against the left. So you throw this little boomerang out there and it's going to circle right back and hit you in the head.
2: Besides, in order to pave way for mandates, which we can talk about in a second... And then the demonization campaign of ivermectin began that day, practically the day the FDA authorized Pfizer and got it out of emergency use, um, then they started attacking ivermectin. Who leads the FDA? Janet Woodcock is the acting director of the FDA. And while Janet Woodcock is uh, demonizing a potentially life-saving drug that's very cheap, she has previously authorized Oxycontin for 11-year-olds, leading to untold numbers of deaths of children.
1: And so if you know me, you also know my stance on chronic pain. And, you know, I think that it's that the war on Oxycontin has hurt a lot of chronic pain patients and a lot of people who uh, absolutely need to have their pain uh, managed. And the worst part of that is that if you present in an ER or an ED, if you present in the emergency room with pain, they're going to assume that you are, even even though you haven't been able to get opioids for quite some time now, uh, even for uh, aftercare, after uh, elective surgery, Uh, you are seen as drug-seeking. If you come in with back pain, you are seen as a drug-seeker. This is what happened to me, and my condition was ignored for months, and my condition happened to be an infection, and so those months were uh, very important. I could have been getting better. I could have been doing treatment to get well, but instead, every time I went to the ER, I got tossed away because... You know, the only reason anybody would go to an ER and spend all the money and uh, and go through all of that hell is to get drugs. Apparently, that's what they think in ERs these days. So, but the OxyContin uh, uh, simile here is is apt because notice that Woodcock approved. Uh, OxyContin for 11-year-olds, so for children. And right now, we're having a big discussion about whether or not these vaccines are appropriate for children. So you have the children children similarity here. But I would like to call your attention to a, a slightly different angle here, and that is you know, why does the FDA pander to the pharmaceutical companies? You know, they're supposed to be the agency that regulates pharmaceuticals. So what gives there? And you might not be aware that the FDA gets nearly half of its funding from the companies that it regulates. Now, they call the money that pharmaceutical companies and medical Equipment companies pay to them, they call them user fees to make it sound like like they're deserving. You know, like, well, pharmaceutical companies are the ones using the FDA, so they should have to pay for it. And that is 100% exactly what you don't want. Uh, so today, close to 45% of FDA's budget comes from user fees that companies pay when they apply for approval of a medical device or a drug. This rule was changed, so, so up until, uh, I think it was 1990-something, uh, 92, FDA had been funded with taxpayer money. And then H.W. Poppy Bush saw an opportunity right before he was getting sick. Fi- he was fixing to get voted out of office. He saw an opportunity to give a big giveaway to pharmaceutical companies. So, uh, and they say that it had to do with, with the AIDS drugs and AZT and all of this. But, you know, really this was just a giveaway. It was just a giveaway that they've been looking for for a very long time. Now with the act, the FDA moved from a fully taxpayer funded entity to one funded through tax dollars and new prescription drug user fees. Manufacturers pay those fees. When submitting applications to the FDA uh, for drug review and annual user fees based on the number of approved drugs they have on the market, et cetera. And, you know, this is what has led to such fun things as, you know, this week while we are talking about, you know, the evils of using horse pace as we also found out that a popular anti-smoking drug, you know, people want to quit smoking because it causes cancer. Funny thing. About the FDA-approved uh, drug to help you quit smoking, Chantix has cancer-causing uh, substances in it. What do you know? This drug has been on the market now for 20 years, and so I'm wondering, are are people who do people make fun of now? I mean, are you supposed to make fun of the people who die of cancer from smoking? Or are you supposed to make fun of the people who die of the smoking cessation pharmaceutical? Because uh, I've been watching lately how we're supposed to cheer when unvaccinated people die. Uh, and uh, and a funny thing about that is uh, you look at the... Numbers from Israel and numbers from the UK, uh, it's actually more people are dying who are double vaccinated than people who are unvaccinated. It's just simple math. It's because the, the numbers have flipped and more people are vaccinated now. But 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 that really leads us to quite a conundrum. Whose death do we make fun of here?
2: And they tweet it and these people laugh at it. Could you imagine if the roles were reversed here, if unvaccinated journalists started saying, oh, here's this person who got the vaccine who died, ha, ha, ha. Lisa Shaw from the BBC, major BBC presenter, young woman, died of AstraZeneca. The vaccine killed her. And we only know about this because she's so high profile. I don't see the quote-unquote anti-vaxxers celebrating that. They haven't made a culture out of celebrating the deaths of people who are uh, vaccinated. But the vaccinated uh, uh, new normals, the branch COVIDians, they have made an identity out of being vaccinated and consider those who have resisted the jab to be ideological opponents who they want to eliminate in genocidal fashion. And they're being reinforced at the highest level.
1: Okay, I'm gonna let... Uh, Max continue here in a second, because being reinforced at the highest level is very important here. But uh, uh, what he says about about there being a genocidal, you know, kind of uh, urge here is is spot on, because you see this every single day on social media. And you're starting to, I'm sure, like i am you're probably starting to see it from people that are within your social group so let me just make this uh ask let me just ask you if in the coming weeks someone should die uh who is unvaccinated why don't you do this why don't you resist the urge to dance on their grave I want you to do that. I want you to resist the urge to, to, to dance on their grave. And then I want you to notice that as people who are vaccinated are, are dying, I want you to notice how other people are not making fun of them. So you kind of get where I'm going here? All right, we'll continue on with what Max has to say here. With the Washington Post, Ruth
2: Marcus publishing a call for the murder, the mass murder of unvaccinated people by denying them medical care. And a doctor who is VP of Acquisitions at InQtel, the venture capital arm of the CIA, is quoted in that column calling mass murder triage. So you have genocidal calls in mainstream media and then this entire class of blue check marks celebrating the deaths of people simply because they oppose the official ideology. They're just gleefully celebrating it all the time. But I don't see that from the other side. I see voting. I I see fear.
1: Now listen to Jimmy Dore responding in kind to what uh, Max Blumenthal had to say.
3: Not the Vax. I am double Vax. And I got sick from the vaccine which a lot of people are now presenting like I presented biologically. The, my biological markers were exactly like a, a COVID long hauler, except I never had COVID. I never had COVID. So uh, so that's the that's – by the way, so when I – talked about this on Twitter. I was the first one I saw say anything about it. Like, hey, it's, it's been a month since my second jab and I'm still sick as a dog. Is anybody else going through this? People started saying I was lying and calling me an anti-vaxxer. I said,
1: Now, this is the same thing that happened to me as I've been telling my story. You know, you get these uh, blue wave types of people who like to respond like, I'd like to believe you or uh, I'm so sure that's exactly what happened. You know, when I say that I had a mini stroke uh, after taking Moderna, (laughs) you know, they act as if you can't have a, 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 any reality that falls outside of their narrative. But guess what? Reality doesn't give a shit what they think. It doesn't give a shit what you think. And uh, people are getting sick from, uh, from COVID who actually have been vaccinated. And listen to what Jimmy's saying here, too. He presents as a long-haul COVID Patient, even though he never had COVID, but he had the jabs, both of them. Now, this is the way people with ME, CFS, fibro, always present our, our inflammation markers, the, the de- deep down into the details, inflammation markers, they are always at the levels where long-haul COVID people are at. This is why I didn't think it was a very good idea for me to get the vax in the first place. But I was bullied. Let's let Jimmy continue here.
3: I just told you I got the goddamn vax. Well, how could you be saying that? And, uh, and so people wanted me to shut up about it. Then people would literally admit it. Hey, you shouldn't talk about it because it will discourage other people to get it. Hey, that's not how science works. Science doesn't work by suppressing data. That's not how you get a better vaccine. That's not how you get better treatments. That's not how science works. They're being exactly like the thing they claim to be opposing. They're being anti-intellectual, anti-science, and employing cognitive dissonance. That's exactly what Democratic voters and everybody who reads mainstream news is doing when it comes to COVID-19.
1: Now, the sad part about this is the people getting caught in the crossfire, you know, people who have had bad reactions to the vaccine and people who can't take the vaccine. You know, Joe Biden went out again last night, you know, with his this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated fucking horseshit. And all that is doing is turning up animosity between imagined groups of people in the U.S., not actual groups of people. He wants, what, what Joe Biden is asking you to do is to drum up some more hatred for the redneck, Trump-loving, Neanderthal chuds. Like, like as, as if that territory hasn't been fully explored in the last four or five years. He wants you to find some new animosity for them. He wants you to think, that they are a mortal threat to you. And I don't know. I live in Florida, and from time to time, I've gone over to Daytona Beach, and i got to tell you something. Those people over there in Volusia County do not pose a threat to me. Redneck, Trump-loving Neanderthal chuds, they're not the threat. They're not the virus. And you guys got to get this straight, because... You know, I don't. I don't like seeing uh, people on the left get it so wrong, uh, and that's making me have to distance myself from the discourse uh, over on the uh, left of center. And I and, and I, I'm trying to be very delicate as I say that because the uh, there's a big difference. There's a huge gulf between the left and liberal Democrats. Uh, there's a big gulf between the left and social Democrats. Uh, so, you know, as as a lefty over here, uh, all I can do is shake my head and, you know, hope that hope that the people who are grave dancing right now today dancing on the graves of, you know, some poor person who died because they assumed they had the wrong political stripe, uh, I, all, all you can do is help that they're not, try to hope that they're not next because nothing makes you next quite like dancing on someone's grave, for instance. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, round this out with some numbers for you. So the NHS, uh, the public health care system in England and in the UK, uh, reports that, and they do the same kind of COVID reporting that that we do every week. And they have, uh, of the deaths, of the deaths in England, 63.5% were fully vaccinated, 7% just seven, were partially vaccinated, and 27.4% were unvaccinated. By far, the lion's share of people who died, died with both vaccinations. And then the numbers break down even further. So if you look at the hospitalized uh, data, uh, more people who are unvaccinated are hospitalized. It's 50% to about 37.4% percent That are fully vaccinated And then when you look at cases If you're just looking at cases And not hospitalization uh, That's where The unvaccinated just really Takes off and you've got 43.4% of Unvaccinated cases uh, And then Fully vaccinated 26.5% And partially vaccinated 20.4% So at least, according to who is dying it 's not so much a pandemic of the unvaccinated, according to who is dying it 's all of our pandemics so you know maybe maybe try to take that into account as we uh, continue on this week so i'm going to go ahead and leave it here for blog talk radio uh, head on over to anchor to catch the lefty the rest of this uh, segment over at the lefty lounge and uh, we'll see you again next week okay so we're back now this is janine and
0: we're going to go on with the rest of the of the program again you can catch the rest of brooks broadcast at the lefty lounge Now, here at Blog Talk Radio, I wanna emphasize that we welcome different perspectives. And I obviously have a different perspective than Brooks regarding the vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Um, When she quoted the National Health Service in England that approximately just now 65% of those who died from COVID were in the hospital were among the vaccinated, you know, once again, That may have been the statistic, but understand this. The protection you get from vaccines, especially for COVID, is also time dependent. Quite a few of those people may very well have vaccinated too late, in which case then their bodies weren't able to build up the necessary immunity. Um, I would never um, criticize someone like Brooke who has a legitimate medical exemption. Never. But when we're talking about anti-vax and anti-mask policies and people that pursue them, what we're really talking about are those that, people that don't have that medical exemption. They're just throwing a big tantrum. Uh, My medical circumstance is a bit different. I've never smoked, but I have chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. It is serious. It is a chronic lung disorder. And the fact is I have been virtually a prisoner, even though I'm vaccinated, because once again I'm particularly vulnerable to this virus. So today's today's uh, stories. We're going to be talking again about COVID, and we're going to be talking about how some of the Republican politicians, actually the entire GOP, have politicized it. And again, I want to emphasize that personally, I believe in science, and I also believe. In science that's reported by actual scientists and physicians not by hack comedians like Jimmy Dore all right when you take a statistic out of context you can make it say pretty much whatever you want it to say but as somebody as a speech-language pathologist in a previous life I have basically a pre-med background though I'm not a physician and no I like science so I really don't care what Jimmy Dore has to say. So let's move on with this. So all over the U.S., we have Republican governors and Republican attorney generals that are working very hard to actively undermine any mitigation efforts in the middle of this COVID pandemic. Now, we're going to focus more, not just, we're not going to just focus on vaccines. We're going to focus heavily on masking because masking works. Now, what Brooke focused on was the vaccine issue. Um, I'm going to focus more on the masking issue because we know it works. And it is an issue of consenting to behave in a civil fashion in society and basically showing our collective humanity. And like I said, I don't give a freaking fudge what a moron like Jimmy Dore has to say. So let's move on. Well, this pandemic is particularly dangerous because the COVID virus is airborne transmitted. And since all of us have to breathe, those of us who refuse to mask in public and those, yes, who refuse to fully vaccinate absent a legitimate medical exemption, that is, they do endanger all of us in excess of 650,000 American lives. And here in the United States, the statistic is such the majority of those who died didn't mask and they were unvaccinated. Or if they were vaccinated, they didn't do it in time for their bodies to actually build the immunity, because that's what vaccines do. They trigger an immune response. They do not change your DNA. That is not possible from a vaccine. So let's kind of stop this scientific illiteracy that's being pushed by people like Jimmy Dore. Let's move on. So what anti-maskers as well as legit as well as anti-vaxxers who can take the vaccine, I'm fully vaccinated, what they fail to understand is that viruses mutate and render vaccines ineffective after a while unless we reach herd immunity. And vaccines can remain effective providing the majority of the population not somebody like Brooke, but the majority actually gets vaccinated. But if a sizable number of people refuse vaccination, then their refusal pretty much guarantees that the present vaccines will eventually become useless in time. You know, we have eradicated multiple diseases in the U.S. but from vaccines. Polio, mumps, rubella, smallpox. Vaccines are not the enemy. And let's let's put it where it is, to refuse to mask and if you're medically able to refuse to vaccinate is, in essence, yes, in my opinion, a sociopathic attack on all of us, and it's fueled by childish tantrums worthy of the most difficult two year olds. That being said, contrary what what Brooke said, I would never dance on somebody's grave. But I am concerned that our intensive care units throughout all our hospitals in the United States are filled with COVID patients to the point that people with other chronic medical conditions, including conditions like what Brooke says she has, aren't able to obtain medical help. They just weren't. There was a case of a 12-year-old boy whose appendix burst, and he died because he couldn't get into a hospital bed. And let's face it: if you are healthy enough to take the vaccine, then you need to take the vaccine. No one, especially me, is telling people that have medical that are medically compromised that can't take the vaccine. I'm not. I'm not blaming them. But yes, majority of us can take the vaccine. Vaccine aside from vaccine, masking is an effective mitigation effort which protects all of us. And yet that same group of people refused to mask. Now, that is a hostile act, and it's inexcusable. So we're in this downward spiral now, and the tragic state of affairs has been enabled by Republican politicians who have made COVID denialism a political mantra in a deadly culture war. In particular, Republican governors such as Mike Parson of Missouri, Greg Abbott of te- Texas, Christy Nome of South Dakota and yes, Ron DeSantis of Florida have led this suicide squad of COVID denialists. Their policies would essentially outlaw mask mandates at the municipal level and, and mask mandates even in our children's public schools. So this is, tri- is starting to trigger a small genocide of the ignorant and willing. These governors are assisted by Republican attorney generals such as here in Missouri, our own Eric Schmidt, these public officials, in my opinion, are guilty of reckless endangerment and child abuse because of these policies, especially aimed at our schools. So the first part of the justice report will discuss the acceptable collateral damage in this war on science, sponsored, yes, by the GOP of Trump. And make no mistake, Trump has instigated and politicians, cynical politicians like Ron DeSantis, yes, they go to Mar-a-Lago, the his ring. Yes, that mafioso reference was very intended. And then they continue to make mitigation efforts, such as masking, nearly impossible. In my honest opinion, this GOP is determined to kill our children. For, for first, we're going to look at how DeSantis is punishing local governments for daring to govern responsibly. Then we'll look at the case of Ray Demonia who died from heart disease before he could access a hospital bed because unvaccinated COVID patients have flooded our medical system. And these are people that most likely could take the vaccine, but refuse to. And other people, other innocents are dying now. Then we'll look at this issue from a nurse's perspective. The second part of the justice report will deal with, deal with a new study conducted by, in conjunction with the Stanford and Yale Medical Schools involving some 350,000 patients, which concluded that, yes, masking does prevent COVID transmission. The third segment will deal with the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and his chaotic quest to deny all public schools the right to implement and maintain mask mandates. Schmidt, it should be mentioned, is running for Senator Roy Blunt's U.S. Senate seat and is feeding that red meat of COVID denial and the accompanying culture war to increase his chances. In my honest opinion, his quest is all a cynical move for more power and nothing else. His actual platform is filled with platitudes, slogans, and culture war references and no substantive issues. Apparently, this allegedly pro-life candidate only cares about the survival of a zygote and is willing to sacrifice their children and their families in his push for power. Not only is Schmidt wrong on the science, he's wrong on the law as well. So first thing, from the Tampa Bay Times, DeSantis, aka, um, and and, I'm sorry, from the Tampa Bay Times, uh, DeSantis and the Florida Attorney General are pushing more lunacy this time in the form of $5,000 fines to Florida municipal governments. Now, this was written by Lawrence Mower in the um, Tampa Bay Times. The headline is DeSantis threatens millions in fines for cities and counties for vaccine mandates. Again, I'm going to reiterate, as a proud leftist, I would never dance on somebody else's grave. And frankly, I'm irritated that Jimmy Dore would make those accusations because it's counterproductive. But that's what people who don't have any facts or any real argument do. They incite. And that's what Jimmy Dore does on a regular basis, in my opinion. Secondly, I would never demand that somebody with legitimate medical exemption, someone like Brooke, for instance, take the vaccine. Instead, I would say you need to mask and test. And that's all they're saying. So all this other nonsense needs to just tone it down. So... Tallahassee, Governor DeSantis has made, in my opinion, Typhoid Mary look like a rank amateur. He's going to fine local governments $5,000 for each employee who is required to be vaccinated, and that threatens quite a few cities and counties with millions of dollars in penalties for adopting what he calls, quote, strict vaccine mandates, except they're not mandates. In most instances, the choice is become fully vaccinated and show that you have, and ask for this nonsense about vaccine passports. Let's be honest here. How, excuse my language, but how in the hell are we supposed to know who is vaccinated and who isn't and how to protect them if we don't have some documentation? And don't you dare, don't any of you dare compare that to the Third Reich. As somebody who is an actual Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, you don't have any right to compare the two. But the fact is most of these local governments are saying either fully vaccinate or mask at all time and test weekly. There is nothing unreasonable in any of that. And it's not dancing on anybody else's grade. So Jimmy Dore needs to basically shut his big pie hole. I'm tired of this just illogical scientific illiteracy. I've had it. Okay to quote Ron DeSantis, or as I call him, Ron DeSantis, quote, we are not going to let people get fired because of the vaccine mandate. You can't, you don't just cast aside people who have been serving faithfully over this issue over what's basically a personal choice over their individual health, end quote. It's not a personal choice. The minute this thing went airborne, we all breathe air. No one has a right to infect others. So if you don't want to vaccinate, then put on a goddamn mask. Be an adult and stop whining. Once COVID proved it proved that it was airborne, it was no longer a personal choice. It wasn't about you individually or me individually. It was about our collective responsibility and our collective humanity to each other. It was about... without understanding that where every right or liberty comes responsibility and consequences, then you're not behaving as a citizen. You're behaving as an overage adolescent. I've had it. So there's even a new state law in Florida that bars businesses and local governments from requiring proof of a vaccine to, quote, gain access to entry upon or service from the government's governmental entities operations in the state, end quote. Okay, let's cut down the hysteria here. That's not a mandate in most instances. In most instances, then you mask. But the idea that you can't require proof of a vaccine, again, I reiterate, how in the hell do we know who is infectious and who might be protected? You have to have documentation. The whole concept of a vaccine, of a vaccine passport that's propaganda that came straight from the american legislative exchange council and yes i do have my documentation and we talked about it on the show many times and as for these five thousand dollar fines think about it for a minute people if you live there in those municipalities where's the money going to come from it's going to come from services you would ordinarily receive you know, there's two sides to every question. They're saying you can't demand proof of vaccination. All right, fine. You don't have to vaccinate. But that doesn't mean you have a right to, the, to gain entry to the public sphere. That's the consequence. If we were talking about tuberculosis or smallpox or bubonic plague instead of COVID. We wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Let's be honest about it. So I have a very different perspective here. But just because I believe in science doesn't mean I would, die on, I would dance on someone's grave and I resent Jimmy Dore for making that accusation. And if he, if he really believes that, fine. It's apparent that people like Jimmy Dore must obtain their, what, documentation from social media? In the meanwhile, I'm obtaining mine from scientific studies and actual newspapers. Okay, let's move on. So this is what, you know, for instance, there's several different local municipalities in Florida that have different policies. Uh, Miami-Dade County says that the law won't apply to them because they don't require vaccines, but they do require testing but you can opt out of COVID testing if you have proof of vaccination. How is that unreasonable? Okay. Um, This is what we're talking about here. So this is, we also have the instance now of private employers. Okay. Private employers can require vaccinations or they fire you. Grow up people. So, and then we have more nonsense, more misinformation, all right? So, Darius' friend was quoted for this article, and he's near retirement. He's worked with the city for 22 years, and he was quoted as saying, quote, the vaccine changes your RNA, so for me, that's a problem, end quote. Okay, well, no, Darius, I need to tell you this vaccine doesn't change your RNA, so please stop saying stupid things. Now, while the CDC has been compromised, I'll agree with some of the things that Brooke said on that, and they shouldn't get funding from private enterprise. That being said, though, I still would put my trust in science over gossip. The CDC states clearly, along with many other medical doctors, and I'm going to get into that, that the vaccines don't change or interact with DNA in any way. Basically... um, The Pfizer, uh, BioNTech, and Moderna vaccines uh, include messenger RNA, which is a molecule that, quote, carries the code that trains your body to build immunity against COVID-19. Okay. We've had vaccines for a long time now. There are some people that can't take them. They get medical exemptions by legitimate doctors, not chiropractors. Why is this a difficulty? But that doesn't mean that you, any of us should be trying to delegitimize the science. I won't tolerate that. So, and DeSantis is vowing to challenge Biden's plan to require businesses with more than 100 employees to confirm that their workers are fully vaccinated or require them to submit to weekly COVID tests. How is that a mandate? If you don't want to be vaccinated, you just take a weekly COVID test. Grow up and as for working with the federal government, they have a right to set their own rules. So then we have DeSantis saying something that is almost as stupid as what Dara said. He, DeSantis explained that um, people that have already had COVID have developed natural antibodies to the virus. So, quote, many of them have already had COVID, okay? They've had COVID, they're recovered, and most of them... Well, the ones who have recovered have very strong immunity, end quote. Explain to me, when did you get your medical license, Governor? In fact, there's a new study that was published just days ago that documented that some 36%, that's basically a third, of former COVID patients did not develop antibodies. And that was published in Forbes. Hardly a bastion of liberal thought. Now, the Florida Attorney General has joined this death cult of the scientifically illiterate. Again, these are culture wars, but they run contrary to actual science. We're learning more about this virus all the time. But, again, as someone like Jimmy Dore, Jimmy Dore shouldn't get his information from social media over YouTube. He should actually go to the studies. In fact, here's the article that I spoke about, that it speaks to the most recent research and proves that DeSantis is wrong on the automatic immunity that previous COVID patients have, thinking that they all have it. They don't. And as I call him, Death Santis is not only wrong on the actual science, he's ethically wrong as he promotes this death cult based on what Dr. King called out as conscientious stupidity. So this was by Bruce Y. Lee, senior contributor, he is a medical professor the title is 36 percent of those who had COVID-19 didn't develop antibodies study says so the study just published in the journal emerging infectious disease okay an actual study and i've got the the documentation has documented that some 36 percent as i said before that had COVID didn't develop the antibodies against COVID in their blood okay Now, that study, there was a research team, and it was led, the first author was Weiman Liu, M.D., and senior author Beatrice Hahn, M.D., from the University of Pennsylvania. Now, it's a small sampling. They checked blood samples from 72 people, hardly a big longitudinal study. I will admit that. And in that study, they found that only 46 of the 72 participants ended up having any detectable antibodies against COVID in their blood samples. All right. But they also found some other things. The research team also found that those who didn't develop antibodies were on average 10 years younger than those who did. So younger people are more at risk, it looks like, but I could be wrong. The study also revealed that people with lower viral loads in the respiratory tract were less likely to have antibodies in their blood as well. Now, the uh basically, this author, Bruce Lee, admits that a study of 72 participants is hardly a longitudinal study. So he makes some other references, which is actually what people that are legitimate reporters do. There was a larger Israeli study, and it was a publication, E-Clinical Medicine. They found that 5% of some 698 people, almost 700 people in Israel, remained Um, what they call seronegative. In other words, after they tested positive for COVID, they actually didn't develop the antibodies. There was another study published in the Journal of Infectious Diseases, again, a real study, found that the rate was even higher, 20% among a group of New Yorkers that, again, had COVID and didn't develop the antibodies. There was also a study from Germany published in the Journal of Clinical Virology. They reported some 85% of people that had COVID didn't develop antibodies. So sorry, Jimmy Dore, you're wrong. And Governor DeSantis is wrong too. Now, antibodies aren't the only measure of immune protection against COVID, but that's why we talked about this particular, this particular uh, study. Documentation is getting messed up. And this is why the CDC, and not just the CDC, if you don't trust the CDC, Quite a few other doctors are really recommending that you get fully vaccinated, including many professors from medical schools. Okay. Let's move on. By the way, Bruce Lee is currently a professor of health policy and management at City University of New York School of Public Health. Um, before that, he was executive director of the Global Obesity Prevention Center at John Hopkins, and he was associate professor of international health at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and associate professor of medicine and biomedical informatics at the University of Pittsburgh. You get the drift here. I would say to Jimmy Dore, that crashing sound is the mic dropped. Let's move on. Now let's talk about other people that are being affected, not by people who have legitimate medical exemptions, but by people that just out of stubbornness are refusing to vaccinate. The case of Ray Pneumonia, he was turned away from 43 intensive care units that were all at capacity because unvaccinated COVID patients are laying there dying, okay? And while the National Health Service, according to what Brooke said, is saying most of the people that died are fully vaccinated. That's not the case here in the U.S., and it's not the case anywhere else in the world that I know of. And the story was written by Scott Newman. And, you know, Ray DeMonia, yes, he was 73. He died some 200 miles away from an intensive care unit. Um, Again, the hospitals were full. And, you know, his obituary obituary reads, quote, due to COVID-19, CRMC emergency staff contacted 43 hospitals in three states in search of a cardiac ICU bed and finally located one in Meridian, Mississippi. In honor of Ray, please get vaccinated if you have not in an effort to free up resources for non-COVID-related emergencies, the obituary reads. He would not want any other family to go through what his did. Okay, this is for people who can take the vaccine and most people can. It is not intended for people that have, again, legitimate medical exemption diagnosed by a legitimate doctor, okay? There was a study, again, released by the CDC, and it indicated that unvaccinated people were far more likely to become infected and hospitalized and to die from COVID-19. That's what all the statistics say, so I don't know about the National Health Service in Great Britain. Let's move on. There's also a story from the Hill how the latest COVID surge was preventable, And this is is an op-ed written by a nurse, okay? Nashville nurse on the latest COVID-19 surge, it is so much worse this time, end quote, by Lexi Lonis. So this Nashville nurse wrote an op-ed in Scientific American, and she detailed her experience as a nurse in the middle of this pandemic. To quote the nurse, quote, it is so much worse this time. We all have so much less to give. We are still bearing the fresh and heavy grief of the past year, and trying to find somewhere to put all this anger that the patients don't stop coming, end quote. And this was written by Katherine Ivy, who is a critical care nurse at a medical center in Nashville. She went on to say, quote, the numbers are higher now than they've ever been. The patient's coming in younger and sicker. Death is at my shoulder again, as silent as he is relentless, end quote. And this is affecting everybody. Idaho has gone to rationing care and putting previously healthy people at top priority that may actually recover, and that's according to The Hill. Um, And Maryland surpasses 10,000 COVID-19 deaths again, according to The Hill. Ivy went on to be quoted as saying, quote, I don't know what to say that will make people listen to us to take the basic steps such as mask and vaccination that could be on our, our way out of this nightmare. I wish I could snap so many people out of their selfish stupor, but I can't, so I get to watch instead as people learn the hard way, end quote. Okay, this is coming from Catherine Ivy, not from Janine Moloff. Now, as we reported before, several GOP governors and some GOP attorney generals, such as Eric Schmidt in Missouri, have been actively fighting to outlaw masking, mask mandates, even at a local level and even in our public school. So even if you... You don't believe the information about vaccines. Come on, you have to believe about masking. The latest salvo comes from the Missouri Attorney General, Eric Schmidt, who filed a class action lawsuit against the Columbia Public Schools in order to outlaw any mask mandate initiated by the public school district. Now, Schmidt claims he has research backing up his bogus claim that kids don't get very sick with COVID and don't spread it. So the schools have no right to mandate masking. That's up to the parents' decision. Schmidt maintains that that's up to the parents. He's wrong. He's wrong in the legal case, and he's totally wrong on the science. One of the studies that Schmidt loves to cite is what he calls the German study. He, he isn't even knowledgeable enough to name the study's authors. He just, in interviews, calls it the German study. Uh, the study he trots out is based solely on 187 pediatric cases of covid in hospital that's it now obviously no serious epidemiologist would use a study limited to 187 participants as evidence that masking is not warranted so when i talked about the issue of um, basically building up antibodies after having covid keep in mind that article by dr lee he also because it was such a small group of people he listed studies that had more longitudinal data in other words. Studies that involve more people he wrote an honest article so below the study and this is the one I was talking about before that I'm really emphasizing and it's conducted by researchers at Stanford University and standard I'm sorry it's conducted by researchers at the Stanford University uh, medical school and the Yale Medical School and it was conducted with assistance on the ground in Bangladesh by an NGO, non-governmental organization, known as Innovations for Poverty Action. The study sample included, and I know that Jimmy Dore gets his, again, I keep hocking on this because he really pisses me off, but instead of getting this information from social media, this study includes 350,000 participants. In other words, a quarter of a million, boom. Now that's an epidemiological study. So let's look at it and see what they found. And what they found was that masking does prevent COVID transmission. The title is Surgical Masks Reduce COVID-19 Spread, Large-Scale Study Shows, okay? So this was a large randomized trial led by researcher at Stanford Medicine and Yale University. And it found that wearing a surgical face mask over the mouth and nose is an effective way to reduce the occurrence of COVID-19 in community settings, end quote. It also showed that there are some targeted interventions that are low cost and simple that promote mask wearing and that can significantly increase compliance with wearing masks and wearing them correctly, it's including in rural low-income countries like Bangladesh. These are countries that don't have access to the vaccines so while people like Jimmy Dore are complaining about it. These people are begging for it. They're dying in droves. So based on the results, this interventional model is being scaled up to reach tens of millions of people all over the world, but especially in Southeast Asia and Latin America within the next couple of months. The findings were released September 1st. And that was on the Innovations for Poverty Action website. This was before their publication in a scientific journal. And that was because the authors of the study felt the information was just too important to not get out. Okay? So one of the authors is Dr. Stephen Luby, MD, professor of medicine at a little place called Stanford University Medical School. Can you hear me now, Jimmy Dore? Pisses me off so much. I'm sorry. To quote Dr. Luby, We now have evidence from a randomized controlled trial that mask promotion increases the use of face coverings and prevents the spread of COVID-19. This is the gold standard for evaluating public health interventions. Importantly, this approach was designed to be scalable in lower and middle-income countries struggling to get or distribute vaccines against the virus, end quote. Another one of the authors is Ahmed Mushfiq Mobarak, Ph.D., Professor of Economics at Yale University. And Professor Mobarak again, is an economics professor. The other lead authors of the study are Ashley Staczynski, M.D., MPH, which means medical doctor as well as she has a credential in pharmacy as well. And she is an infectious disease fellow at Stanford University. Another author is Jason Abeluk, PhD, professor of economics at Yale, and Laura Kwong, PhD, former postdoctoral scholar at Stanford, and now an assistant professor of environmental health sciences at the University of California, Berkeley. The researchers partnered with Innovations for Poverty Action, which is a global research and policy nonprofit organization, and they concentrated on on increasing mask use in rural Bangladesh, and they enrolled practically 350,000 people from 600 villages in rural Bangladesh. Now, Bangladesh is one of the most heavily populated countries in the world, and it is very difficult to distance in such an overpopulated area. So if mask worked at all there, you know it's most likely going to work anywhere else. Uh, people living in the villages were randomly assigned to a series of interventions that promoted the use of surgical masks and those that were actually involved in that were about eleven percent less likely than those who lived in control in villages that were used as a control group. Okay, in other words, that did not receive the interventions. Okay, it was an eight week study period. And what they found, very important finding here, quote, the protective effect increased to nearly 35% for people over 60 years old, end quote. So, you know, there were earlier jokes. Let's talk about jokes. There were earlier jokes about COVID being a boomer remover. Where was the decency there? So some of the things they did in this study as interventions, they provided free masks. Again, Bangladesh is a very poor nation. You have to understand it. So they provided free masks. That's one. They also informed people and taught them about the importance of covering, of wearing the mask properly, covering both the nose and the mouth. Because if, you, if you're wearing a mask and it covers your mouth and your nose is exposed, it's pretty much the same as not wearing a mask. They also taught people and reminded them in person when they were unmasked in public and provided free masks again. And then there was role modeling by community leaders, and all these interventions tripled mask usage in a very poor country, and that was compared with the control villages that didn't receive any of the interventions. And that's what the research found. Um, in the intervention villages, so the villages that received these these um, strategies, there was also a slight increase in physical distancing in public spaces such as marketplaces. What they found is that people were more cooperative. They saw that this was their collective responsibility as reflected in their collective humanity instead of this libertarian hell that we're living in in the U.S. right now. Okay. Um, There was a concern early on that mask wearing would give some sort of false sense of security that would lead to risky behaviors, and that was a concern that was cited by the World Health Organization in the early days of the pandemic Um, and that's one of the reasons why officials of the world health organization didn't weren't too enthusiastic about mask wearing at first Uh, to quote one of the study's authors dr stuczynski quote our study is the first randomized controlled trial exploring whether facial masking prevents covid19 transmission at the community level it's notable that even though fewer than 50% of the people in the intervention villages, the ones that received these strategies, wore masks in public places, we still saw a significant risk reduction in symptomatic COVID-19 in these communities, particularly in elderly, more vulnerable people, end quote. So as we're going to go through the study and kind of bear with me, people, because I'm actually grabbing my water right now. Um, my throat is giving me tips as we speak. All right. Oops. Sorry, people. I hate to do this. All right, so back to the show. Oh, asthma so delightful. It really is. But as I'm talking this much, it's longer than my normal show, so I have to do this. Okay. That is the sound of my water. So well, let's move on. So as predicted, some of the other findings were that yes, uh, surgical masks were more effective, you know, than cloth masks, and that is in alignment in alignment with lab tests that were also conducted. But cloth masks did reduce the overall possibility of experiencing symptoms of respiratory illness associated with COVID. Keep in mind, Bangladesh is a very densely populated country in South Asia. And the authors of the study chose Bangladesh for multiple reasons. And these are the reasons. Quote, one, mask promotion is considered vital in countries where physical distancing can be difficult. Bangladesh, it's almost impossible to physically distance. Make sure um, some of these villages is being more heavily populated than Manhattan on steroids. The second reason, two, Innovations for Poverty Action, Bangladesh, had already established a research framework in the country. So they were already set up and ready to go. And reason three, quote, many local partners were eager to support a randomized, controlled trial of masking. This was a proper scientific study, people. It was not the opinion of a a washed-out comic like Jimmy Dore using, what, YouTube for his research? Researcher Kwong was quoted as saying, quote, we saw an opportunity to better understand the effect of masks, which can be a very important way for people in low-resource areas to protect themselves while they wait for vaccines. So we collaborated with behavioral scientists, economists, public health experts, and religious figures to design ways to promote mask mask use at a community level. There is a growing body of scientific evidence that shows that, yes, wearing masks reduces the spread of the virus. And this is nothing new. Wearing a mask has been the accepted medical protocol for any airborne pathogen for decades now. What is the problem, people, other than immaturity and selfishness? Okay. But these people in this very crowded country, many of them uneducated in their villages, they cooperated. Now, part of it was because the leaders were behaving responsibly, too. And that is a very important thing. So they had notable Bangladeshi figures, including the prime minister, as well as um, a leading religious leader and imam and a star cricket player. You understand, you have to understand, cricket to them in that part of the world is like the top football player here in the U.S. They had, in other words, role models behaving in responsible ways, setting the example, as opposed to people like Ron DeSantis and here in Missouri, Eric Schmidt, cynically manipulating people to do things that, yes, are destructive to themselves and others so they can gain political, political ground. That's unethical. These, these important Bangladeshi figures that were well-respected in multiple venues, whether it's sports, politics, and religion, they all provided information. They all explained why wearing a mask is important and they also really asked people implored them that if you're appearing in public without masks to remind somebody politely please put on a mask you're not just doing it for yourself you're doing it for the people you love why is this so hard to understand and then community leaders modeled mask wearing so i challenged someone like jimmy Dore: why is this difficult Now the villages were chosen by the NGO, Innovations for Poverty Action, Bangladesh, and they paired 600 villages countrywide. And they based it on population size and density, geographic location, and any available COVID-19 data. And for each of the 300 pairs of villages, I'm just reading straight from this now, quote, one was randomly assigned to receive the intervention while the other served as control and received no intervention. So in other words, some of the villages received these strategies, others did not. They just remained the same because that's how you actually design a proper study. And again, the total number of study participants was slightly under 350,000 people. Specifically, it was 342,126 people in total. Um, of that number of study participants, 178,288 people were in the intervention group that received the strategies and the masks, and 163,838 people were in the control group that did not receive the mask or the interventions or the strategies. Okay? This went on for eight weeks. But they also saw that because these public figures set a positive example, Other things that need to happen, such as physical distancing, everybody working together, everyone behaving like responsible adults, the risk of me sounding condescending, it worked. It just worked, people. To quote, um, and they found that the protective effect, especially of surgical masks, was even more important for older people. So if you love your parents, they're older, or your grandparents, you just do this. Uh, Those aged 50 to 60 were 23% less likely to develop COVID if they wore a surgical mask, and those over 60 were 35% less likely. From the infectious disease specialist Staczynski, you know, an actual doctor, to quote, this is statistically significant, and we believe probably a low estimate of the effectiveness of surgical masks in community settings. the fact that the study okay so end quote so she also went on to say the fact that the study was conducted at a time when the rate of trans- oh, I'm skipping ahead here, okay my mistake this was an area where the rate of transmission was fairly low um And she said, quote, if mask wearing rates were higher, we would expect to see an even bigger impact on transmission. That is according to Dr. Luby. So if these statistics sound low, it's because there wasn't a lot of COVID transmission to begin with. And that's probably because Bangladesh is fairly isolated. There aren't a whole lot of outsiders that travel there. Um, Dr. Luby, who is the professor of medicine at Stanford University, was quoted as saying, quote, unfortunately much of the conversation around masking in the United States is not evidence-based. Our study provides strong evidence that mask wearing can interrupt the transmission of COVID-19, of SARS-CoV-2. It also suggests that filtration efficiency is important. This includes the fit of the mask, tight fit in other words, as well as the materials from which it is made. A cloth mask is certainly better than nothing but now might be a good time to consider upgrading to a surgical mask, end quote. This piece was written by Krista Conger, who is a science writer in the Office of Communications. Okay, again, the people involved, researchers from Innovation for Poverty Action, the University of California, Berkeley, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, the NGRI North South University in Dhaka, Bangladesh, And Deakin University in Melbourne also contributed to the study. Okay. Grow up, people. And then there's also a fairly long uh, bibliography as well. Now, pair this latest study. Again, we're talking about masking. We're not talking about the tantrums on vaccines. Pair this latest study with the previous South Korean study from 2020 which clearly discovered that older children, aged 10 to 19, yes, are effective carriers of COVID while not necessarily becoming as sick. And this is from sciencealert.com. The title is Older Kids May Transmit COVID-19 As Much As Adults Do, New Evidence Shows. Now, it should be noted that the South Korean study that established that, that study involved practically 7,000 pediatric uh, cases but the contact traced almost 60,000 people. Uh, And it clearly established that. But that study also dealt with the Alpha variant, which is the subject, ironically, of every study noted by the Missouri Attorney General in his lawsuit. It is not about the more contagious Delta variant, which is constituting the majority of cases as of this June. So when you pair the more highly contagious Delta variant, now spreading rapidly, With the South Korean study results, you have what I call a perfect storm for mass contagion again as schools without mass mandates allow such transmission and older kids bring COVID home and could set the stage for, one, a lot of children becoming very ill with long COVID, some dying, and, yes, could set the stage for what can only be called and relegate us to a nation of orphans because we do know adults do die from it. So the fact that the Missouri Attorney General's lawsuit uses studies which are not necessarily epidemiological are longitudinal in size and scope. In other words, proper studies with large enough numbers is part of the problem. The studies he cites as justification for this dangerous lawsuit, which essentially sponsors the right to spread COVID in our schools because he wants to outlaw mask mandates, all deal with the alpha variant. These studies do not adequately make the case for the more contagious Delta variant in terms of the science. All right? This is just like DeSantis. A.G. Schmidt is trying to say this is a parent's right to decide whether or not their child will mask in school. Wrong. Parents can't do whatever they bloody well please with their kids. You can't legally abuse them, neglect them, or recklessly endanger them. You can't leave a child in... 100 degree temperature in a, a car with the windows rolled up and when you refuse to do something as simple as demand that your child all, all children wear masks and teachers in school then yes you're recklessly endangering them but what is eric schmidt doing keep in mind this is the man that wants to once you roy blunt's a senate seat in a cynical political move okay He's wanting to add more school districts to his illegitimate lawsuit. Right now he's suing Columbia Public Schools. But just recently, he's trying to add more schools to the lawsuit against mask mandates. So this was a report written in Missouri from Stephanie Sotheby, KOMU8 digital content editor. Um, The headline is Schmidt looks to add more schools to CPS, in other words, Columbia Public Schools lawsuit against mask mandates. Okay, and he filed the original lawsuit on August 24th. And if this, he's, what he's doing is this is a motion for class certification. So he's trying to change the, the, the status of the lawsuit. And if the class certification is granted, then whatever happens in the case would apply to all public school districts in the state that right now have a mask policy. And most school districts in Missouri do have mask policies. All right, it is also it should also be noted, and it's really ironic that a G Schmidt has a child, one of his children is on the autism spectrum. it's on his bio, so I'm not doxing anybody, and this child also has medical issues as well, but his kid goes to private school. This outlawing of mass mandates only applies to public schools so. If the injunctions granted then mask mandates that are being implemented right now would be halted at public schools that require them, and I just hope and pray that those school districts just refuse to comply. They need to. To quote from, from A.G. Schmidt quote, "Forcing children to wear masks in school all day flies in the face of science and could hinder crucial development by eliminating facial cues and expressions." This is in his news release. We filed this case because we fundamentally don't believe in forced masking rather than parents and families should have the power to make decisions on masks based on science and facts. We plan to continue to aggressively litigate this case moving forward, End quote. Well, quote. There's several problems with that statement. First of all, uh, I have a classmate who runs a school for the hearing impaired. And when they had the mask or wear face shields, this was a concern because these kids see trees. They use face shields then that you could see through, or they use, They also create a mask that have um, a clear piece that you can see the mouth, and it's still a mask that covers the nose and, and mouth. That's all. So that's nonsense, and, and those type of masks are available for sale, actually. And as for parents making the individual decision, no. Once again, when you're in a public setting, it's not just about your kid or you. It's about other people's children as well. Not to mention the fact that the U.S. Department of Education is correct. Outlawing mask mandates would create an Office of Civil Rights, an OCR, legitimate complaint because it would step on the rights of disabled and medically fragile children to attend school safely. And the last time I checked, the AG's wrong that federal law supersedes state law. But he's going ahead with it. And why is he doing it? Because he knows that the GOP of Trump, yes, a lot of them are ignorant. And this is a big fu to anyone who believes in science. Okay. As a progressive, I'm not dancing on anyone's grave, but these GOP-er, GO, GOPers are. The CDC recommends universal indoor masking for all students age two and older, as well as staff, teachers, and visitors to K through 12 schools, no matter what their vaccination status is. So people need to get over themselves. Okay. The lawsuit that Schmidt is pushing has three counts, including that, quote, mandates are unreasonable, arbitrary, and capricious, and that the mask mandate is unlawful as to school children, end quote. He loves that phrase, arbitrary and capricious. But it's also in constitutional language as well. And he's trying to push this probably at a federal level. That's why he's doing this in part as well. This is dirty work. Why anybody would want to risk anyone's child is beyond me. But that's a special kind of evil. We're not talking about adults. We're talking about kids now. The fact is, the federal law is clear. Nobody has the right to infect others, period. Once this virus went airborne, it changed everything, period. You have to remember, there are a lot of laws in the books now that say that, for instance, if you have HIV, if you have AIDS, and you have unprotected sex, and you don't inform your partner ahead of time, yes, you can be criminally charged. But unlike something like AIDS, which is sexually transmitted or bloodborne, You can choose not to have unprotected sex. You cannot choose not to breathe. This is airborne. It changes things. So let's talk about this in conclusion. I would love to just shout in Jimmy Dore's face. I don't want to hear his ignorant mouth. He's wrong. The science is now here. A large epidemiological study, three, almost 350,000 participants. Masking and vaccination worked to reduce COVID-19 transmission, period, and especially masking. And we have the majority of Republicans that are working to encourage risky behaviors that, yes, lead to mass death. You know, before they were coming for workers because big business didn't want to lose a single penny of profit they didn't care if workers' lives were put in jeopardy, if people just died. Keep in mind, this isn't about the few, the small minority of people that have legitimate medical exemptions and can't take the vaccine. If you can't take the vaccine, then just mask already. Show some consideration. Nobody's asking you to put your life in the line. But most people can say, take the vaccine safely. In fact, the epidemiological studies have shown that 90 was it the majority of people that take the vaccine do not have serious medical consequences from it they just don't but i'm one of those medically fragile people all right so let's be honest here we know it works and yet we have the majority of republicans working against us so they were coming from the workers keep in mind over 650,000 fellow Americans have died in the eight, past 18 months more than more people than actually died during the Civil War. So before they came for the workers, but now they're coming for our kids, we have Republican governors and Republican attorney generals that are attacking the rights of individual townships and public school districts to enact mask and vaccine mandates, and all in the name of alleged liberties. I don't care what Jimmy Dore has to say, and I know I'm hocking on that a lot because that man infuriates me. No one has a right to infect others in the public sphere. No one. Governor Death Santis and Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt both have cynically declared that parents alone can do what they will to their children, even if such behavior effectively constitutes neglect, abuse, or in this case, reckless engagement. That, argue, that legal argument has no merit, none. There is a case, Jacobson v. Massachusetts, from 1905, that says, yes, states have the right to demand vaccine mandates, especially in public schools. Grow up. And it was actually uh, supported by the Supreme Court. It was decided in the Supreme Court, and recently the SCOTUS said, yes, we will keep doing that. Look, when you enter into the public sphere, yes, you have rights, but you also have a responsibility to others. And these adamant anti-vaxxers who don't have legitimate medical needs and anti-maskers especially, throwing this huge tantrum in a culture war, they're not demonstrating citizenship they're demonstrating never-ending adolescence and they're doing so based on a collective level of scientific illiteracy which has been encouraged and elevated by a republican party offering their voters nothing else but hate culture wars and yes a death, death cult these anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers are not only endangering their own children but everyone else's we have not seen this level of Ignorance since the Salem witch trials, and this ignorance is dangerous. To quote Dr. King from many years ago, quote, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity, end quote. Dr. King's right. More importantly, we have a federal government that is too meek to defend us against what I call these COVID idiots. Those leading this anti-vax, anti-mask charge, and that's basically the people at ALEC for the most part, the American Legislative Exchange Council, should lose professional licensures, and yes, they should face criminal charges of reckless endangerment and involuntary manslaughter on a genocidal level. Nothing else will reverse this death spiral, and we must reverse it. It's not for ourselves. Than for our children so that's the justice report for this week now we're going to touch up on a few other little thoughts at the end okay so there's some hand-wringing by democrats regarding the right of the public sphere of uh, well, let me start back okay so there's the democratic party is just collectively hand-wringing because public sphere medical providers in other words medicare and medicaid aren't being allowed to negotiate pharmaceutical price breaks just like private insurers have been allowed to do. Now, I have some thoughts on this. And, and I felt so strongly about this that I actually called uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter's office and left my thoughts with them. Number one, just like private insurers, Medicare and Medicaid have limits to enrollment. Not everyone qualifies, yet everyone, uh, yet everyone pays for Medicare and Medicaid. Two, in the meanwhile, private insurers have been allowed to negotiate drug prices to obtain really big price breaks for their enrollees as a segregated entity. Three, meanwhile, the public sphere, Medicare and Medicaid, and again, it's the public sphere, they haven't been allowed the same right to negotiate drug prices for those same price breaks, even though every American pays for these programs. And four, this legal discrepancy, in my opinion, has created a type of medical-pharmaceutical apartheid with public providers, in other words, Medicare and Medicaid, at a distinct disadvantage, even if they represent already financially disadvantaged populations. This discrepancy represents a highly discriminatory situation which was caused by the U.S. Congress as Congress has the right to regulate commerce. And five, even though Congress created this discriminatory situation, they're also at fault. This is a situation which has to be litigated, as I see it, a civil rights violation. Congress, with its stubborn refusal to grant the public sphere medical providers the same rights as private medical providers, has violated the basic premise which rule of law stands for, namely equitable treatment for all parties. So not only, is this a discrepancy, not only is this discrepancy between public and private providers a civil rights violation, it's also a violation, I think, of the Commerce Clause in terms of its equitable application. That's what I think. Now, so we've got about 18 minutes left. So I'm going to borrow something that I use on the Environmental Justice Report as well. And I encourage you to tune in, actually. And we have this where we say it's either environmental heroes, zeros, or villains. So today, we're talking about political heroes, zeros, and villains. And for today, the political villains are the white supremacists of the GOP, the rally this past Saturday. Again, at the beginning of this program, I mentioned it. They basically chickened out all right? They knew the police were going to be watching. So there there was going to be this Justice for J6 um, rally supporting the insurrectionists of January 6th who were standing criminal trial. And it was this idea, how dare, how dare any of us challenge their privilege, their white privilege? And Because the Biden administration was prepared, and they decided, no, we're going to make sure the police are ready, everyone's ready to go, the instigators, not just um, the organizer who was a former Trump staffer and campaign staffer, but also some of the other instigators, namely the Proud Boys, which is a a domestic terrorist group, in my opinion, Uh, they told their members, don't show up. Now, it wasn't just in D.C. Uh, I, actually, <laughs> I actually signed up. All right? they're, they're so stupid. I signed up. And I signed up using my first name, my phone and first name. And I was able to obtain access to everywhere there was going to be a CIS rally. And there were in several states, including here in Missouri. And, um, you know, the fact is that they told their members, don't bother to show up because, you know, once again, we're being watched. The minute they knew there were going to be consequences for their um their behavior, they didn't show. The rally essentially petered up. But keep in mind there was chatter on well, I think now it's not called four anymore. I think it's called eight chan now. But there was chatter on a lot of social media where they were planning um acts of harassment and violence against racial and religious minorities all over the country. D.C., in my opinion, was the distraction. While these domestic terrorists attacked people of color and religious minorities. These aren't just white supremacists, these are neo-Nazis, make no mistake about it. So that's all the coverage that these white supremacist neo-Nazis deserve right now, at least until their criminal trials. But we need to keep an eye on them because these are people, whether it's Fox News using the great replacement theory, Tucker Carlson featuring it all the time, which is loaded with coded language, which is just a bunch of white Christians that are terrified they're going to, quote, be outnumbered, or whether it is direct violence from the Proud Boys and other groups. We have to be aware of this. And we have, a again, this whole show is really about collective responsibility and our collective humanity. Instead of focusing like little libertarian brats with no more self-control than a two-year-old with a shit-filled diaper, we should be talking about our collective humanity and our collective responsibility to each other. Because that's what adults do. Don't you think... We are long overdue for some adult responsible behavior in charge. You know, there was an old saying that the only way evil men or women, the only way evil succeeds is for good people of conscience to sit by, turn their heads, and do nothing. To a paraphrase, but you get the idea. This level of domestic terrorism, this level of bigotry, Cannot succeed unless all these so-called good people just remain too cowardly to stand up to them. That's what happened during the, the years of the Third Reich, during the Holocaust, and it can happen anywhere. You, we cannot continue to be implicit to be complicit with this level of evil. Okay, it didn't start with Donald Trump. He merely was the circus uh, barker that uh, took advantage of it. It's always been there. And we have to decide. You know, in the past, we have not been that shining city on the hill. Far from it. And the only way we'll get there is if we have everybody working together to create a society where everyone has equal rights. And I do mean everyone. Because not the only way we're going to become that shining city on the hill. The question is, do we have the moral courage to do the right thing? That's our show for tonight. Um, good night and God bless. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the
2: weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my
1: dentist's office.